we're going out into a new week and what you will be surrounded with, what we will be surrounded with is darkness. I'm not talking about the darkness of winter, I'm talking about the darkness of a sinful world. And the church of Jesus Christ has to operate against that background in everything it does. It must never, ever lose sight of that. We're going to take a minute or two to pray before we come to God's word. Uh, we're going to be thinking of the church, the church big, and this church, and local churches, just as they go about their ordinary ministries, whether it's ministry within organizational ministry or the ministry that every single Christian has as they go about their daily business. We're going to be thinking about that just for a moment or two. Let, let's do that. <clears throat> Father, in a, in a moment or two we'll be in your word and at a point we will be noting uh, the darkness that is around us and that in a sense uh, desires to have us under the manipulation of the evil one. But Lord, we want to pray, therefore, for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ going out into a week uh, covered in darkness. Uh, we pray, Lord, for the church at large, uh, all over this province, all over this nation, O oh Lord. We just pray that as believers can come into Monday and get up and do all the stuff that they do, go to work, go to school, go to college, take the children to school, Lord, that believers may remember what it's like all around them. And therefore, Lord, remember that you have promised that your mercy is greater than anything else. Your grace is amazing grace and it will sustain them as they throw themselves upon your mercy in the course of their business. We pray for that for all the churches of Christ across the nation, Lord. We pray for them in their organization, Lord. We pray that it might be an organization which befits the people of God, operating according to the standards and the promises of God and the plans of God. Father, we pray for this congregation. Pray for all that is due to happen over the course of the next week, Lord. We, we pray for all the organizations. We pray especially for the PW tomorrow evening, Lord, and their guest speaker and their open night. We pray that it will be indeed a night not to be missed, not just because there's a great speaker, but because the Spirit of the living God himself would be present and ministering there. Pray, Lord, for the discipleship groups, the Bible study on Thursday during the course of the week. We pray, Lord, that as, as your people come together, that you would be in their midst and you would lift them up to heaven. Have them to know they are indeed in Christ in heavenly places. And equip them to be confident, to be witnesses for Jesus in this, through this church and in this community and wherever they happen to have to spend their daily lives and work. Lord, that's what we pray for the church of Christ. Lord, that we would be light in a dark place. And we confess we're not overly able to be like that if we're trying to do it ourselves. And we pray, Lord, therefore, that the light of the world would be our constant companion, shining into us and then shining out of us, even the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, bless the ministry of the church of Jesus Christ in this coming week. And we pray, Lord, that the greatest blessing might be that there may be many people who will come to know and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for their eternal life in the ministries in this coming week. Lord, let that be, we pray, our great aim to glorify your name as we share the gospel. Men and women and young folk are both converted, saved, and are caused to grow strong in their faith. We pray 
In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I said uh, a few minutes ago, John was in Ephesians last week. It struck a chord kind of thing. I'm not used to doing one-off sermons. You're usually, you know, stuck in the middle of 15 of them or something uh, in a row. And it's hard to know where to go next when somebody says, can you do that evening service? Uh, And we're going back into Ephesians. It's dead easy to follow somebody else. Uh, We're going back into Ephesians this evening for a few minutes. Hopefully it is only a few minutes. But let me start this way. I don't know whether you've noticed or not, but we are actually about two-thirds of the way. Uh, through a, a three-week, what I see is a three-week period of remembering through special events. Uh, you might think some of them aren't that special, but anyway, two weeks ago, it was Halloween. What's special about Halloween? Well, not a lot, really. Uh, remembering in Halloween, remembering in two different ways. Uh, in a fear, as it was traditionally in pagan Uh, belief, a fear of the returning spirits of the dead and trying either to appease them by gifts of fruit and all the rest of it or by scaring the living daylights out of them with very loud bangs. I don't know why you knew that's where we got our fireworks from, but that is where we get our fireworks from, with very loud bangs, very dark and very, very pagan. Or still in Halloween, you might be more clued into the Christian challenge uh, in this remembering of giving thanks to God uh, for the faithful departed gathered into glory. They call it All Saints Day. Now, I know Presbyterians, you know, <laughs> they can take those sort of things or leave them, but it's there nevertheless. Uh, giving thanks to God for those who believed in Jesus and who have been gathered to their eternal reward. That's the first one. Um, in a sense, the middle remembrance I'm thinking about is, is Guy Fox. Now, people here really couldn't care less about Guy Fox, but you know, It's a remembering of the failure of the infamous gunpowder plot of the 5th of November, 1605, when Guy Fawkes and his co-conspirators didn't manage to blow up the House of Lords or James II. Now, can you imagine how our history would have been so different if he had managed to succeed in that? You won't know this, but actually, for a very long time, and we're talking from through the 17th century and right into the 18th century, uh, Guy Fawkes' night day was actually a bit like the 12th of July. And they still have the bonfires, but in those days they burnt effigies. I'll not not comment on who the effigies were of. Uh, And it was really quite a partisan sort of celebration until it was redirected at the end of the 18th century. Redirected away from politics and away from religion. Now it's just better known as bonfire night. The third one, the third remembering has has yet to come. We're moving towards next weekend when there will be remembrance services all over the nation. Some feel that since there are very few left who fought or even of an adult age at the end of the Second World War, that it should be basically done away with. While people like the Royal British Legion have sought to keep this alive, as it were, in the national conscience. Not just because of two world wars, but sadly, because of so many other wars, and currently we're right there, aren't we? Uh, So many other conflicts, and therefore those who've suffered in the past and continue to do so. I think the Royal British Legion are quite correct, and we should continue to remember it. The reason 
when we forget the lessons of the past, when we forget to remember the lessons of the past, we are doomed to make the same mistakes over again. And though it's got nothing to do with a servant, I think Europe, the EU, has fallen foul of that since the breakup of the old Soviet Union. We are seeing the consequences of not remembering the past. Now, what's that all about? Well, the thing is, the Bible is very concerned about remembering. You could nearly say that, the, that, that the Paul's letter to the Ephesians is actually all about remembering. And I'm just going to pick one or two things out of it this evening. But the Bible is very concerned about remembering. We see it encouraged through the Old Testament, the words we, we read at the beginning of the service tonight from Isaiah chapter 46, right down at the end. What does God say? Remember. Remember who I am. I am God and there is no other. Don't we forget that sometimes? It goes into the New Testament. Remembering the death of the Lord Jesus is one of the two things which Jesus has commanded us to do in the life of the church together to encourage us in our faith. But it's an encouragement that comes out of remembering the death of the Lord Jesus Christ until he comes again. So what might we profitably remember about the people who have believed the Bible and believed Jesus? What might we remember about being a Christian? It, it's sort of like a, a spiritual ID, isn't it? Um, the fingerprint. Uh, <clears throat> uh, you may have a phone. If theirs comes up. Yep, you may have a phone. I thought mine had this, but mine's not quite as trendy as this. That you don't actually have to put a number in or a password in. You know, you just, it has your fingerprint. And you put your finger on the weave circle and it remembers your ID. It re dear knows what else is remembering. It's probably taking your heart rate and your blood pressure and about, and about 10 other things as well. And if you go to Google or Apple, they'll tell you what it was. But it remembers your ID. And that's it. That's what a way of looking into Ephesians. Paul is encouraging us to remember our ID. You know, my... Uh, Ellis' grandson has left primary school. He's now into secondary education. They have, I think he calls it the deli in school. You know, you know I mean, you know, we all had delis when we were in school, uh, so we did. And you know, you don't have to use money. You don't actually have to use. You don't actually have to use your phone either. You just put your finger on it, your thumb or your finger, and you pay for it with your fingerprint. <laughs> so you do now. I'm assuming. I am assuming that there's money tucked away in there somewhere in the background. But it's very important. Remembering. In Ephesians, Paul is anxious to encourage the Ephesian believers to remember. And he goes to great pains in this letter to get them very specifically to remember who they are. And that's where we're at this evening. That's all I want to do. I'm going to share one, two, three things with you, which Paul gives us, that the Holy Spirit gives us in the Word to help us remember who we are. Because I think very often when we get out of church on a Sunday, we get away from the Lord's Day, and we get out there into the hustle and the bustle of, of, of a busy week, we forget who we are. Whom we have become. 
when we believe in Jesus. What standing we have because we have believed in Jesus. Paul says in the first place, remember that you are chosen. That's the first thing for this evening. You might not like that. I didn't when I became a Christian. In chapter 1, Paul writes down there in in verse 4, speaking of, of the Lord, for he chose us in him, in Christ, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. Isn't that amazing? That is the most amazing thing you will read, you will hear this evening. For he chose us in him. Whenever uh, I was a young Christian, uh, my background, uh, there wasn't much background, uh, but I went to, I, I maybe shared this before, I went to a gospel hall Sunday school uh, from when I was about P5 till I was in uh, fifth form, and then I decided I was too old for all that sort of stuff. Uh, and that's where my, my initial biblical teaching came from. That was fine. I, I owe a lot to that Sunday school, but you know, one of the things uh, that came out of that was that when I finally became a Christian, maybe someday I'll tell you how that happened. It's very exciting. Uh, I finally became a Christian. I thought, I did this. And there was almost an attitude which said, well, Lord, you, know, you really ought to be very, you ought to be very grateful. You know, I, I've become a Christian. I'm one of your guys now. And we had this elder in my home church, Beaver Park it was, and he's extremely well-read extremely reformed in his outlook and theology and understanding of the Bible. And him and I used to go at this hammer and tongs. How dare he tell me that I was chosen to believe in Jesus before I ever uh, thought about doing it. And I was horrified. And he quoted the shorter catechism and all the rest of it, the longer, the larger catechism and all the catechisms he could think of. But you know what? It was only as I actually studied the Bible that I realized he was right. He was right. You see, uh, Paul talks about that in chapter 1. But as he goes into chapter 2, where where John was last week, he takes us back a step. He says, you guys, you were dead in your your transgressions and your sins. Chapter 2, verse 1, you were dead. You were dead. Dead people don't make decisions. Dead people don't make things happen. It's all gone. And Paul says to them, you were dead. He said, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. He said, everything about you simply spoke death, spiritual death. Everything about you spoke of a spiritual graveyard. You were dead. How on earth Do you think you came to Jesus? How did you ever make that decision? And you do have to make a decision. How did you do it? Nothing they could have done would have caused them to trust Jesus or the gospel. You know people like that. You're bound to know people like that. They have no interest. Why do they need Jesus in this this world we live in? We've got everything we want. They do forget they're going to die someday, but leaving that aside. God gave the Ephesians new life first, and they believed. I cannot explain this, but it's what the Bible teaches. 
It is solely in line with Paul says down there uh, in chapter 1 and verse 5. It is solely in line with his pleasure and his will. Can't get past that one. It's amazing. That is amazing grace. It is the firm rock on which we stand. Our coming to true faith is because we have been set apart from all eternity. Brethren, you need to, you need to think about that. If, if that makes you kind of churn inside, it's a hard pill to swallow something for many people. You need to seriously think about that. Follow it through the New Testament. Follow it through the Old Testament. It's there right from Genesis. You cannot avoid it unless you want to. There is none so blind as those who will not see. And here's the upshot, because we're just skimming this. Here's the upshot of this for us this evening, this first remembrance. Remember when you go out tomorrow morning, whether it's the shops or work or wherever you go on a Monday morning, remember that you are chosen if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it means this for us, that if we're trusting in Jesus Christ this evening, the roots of our life were planted in the eternal counsels of God. Now, how good is that? How good is that? And as one writer says, as the branches of our lives are growing into an absolutely sure and glorious future with God. That's the upshot of this. And earlier in the service, I prayed for the assurance and the confidence that as we go out into the week, that we are in the hand of God. We're in the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ, John chapter 10, and no one shall pluck us from it. Why will no one pluck us from it? Because we are chosen. You can't have eternal life today and not have it tomorrow. If you, haven't got, if you don't have it tomorrow, then you don't have it today. It's as simple as that. And here's the encouragement. There are no unimportant days in your life or mine. You don't ever have to go to bed at night feeling that your life is going nowhere because if you're in Christ, if you remember you are chosen to know faith through Jesus, your life is going somewhere. You don't ever have to give in to the lie that you're not connected to some awesome purpose because you are in Christ Jesus. Unbelievable. We could go down several sermon roads from that, and we haven't time, we haven't time to, to do that this evening. But that's why Peter, uh, that's why Peter in his second letter encourages his readers to make their calling and election sure. To make their chosenness sure. And his whole letter is about growing more like Jesus. And we do that. We make our calling and election sure as we grow more like Jesus. Remember, says Paul, that we were chosen before the creation of the world. Second thing, remember that we are church. Remember that we are church. Uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 5 and... Uh, the verses 25 to 33. You know the passage about husbands love your wives and all that? And the bit that has it, I'm not going to read the passage because we, we haven't really got time. And that wives are to submit to their husbands. You know that, that bit I love reading out at weddings. 
absolutely love it. You want to see the faces of people, uh, women particularly, if <laughs> you don't forgive me, you know. But you know, it's only because they've been fed with some sort of really wonky understanding of what this passage is about. This is an amazing passage. But it's not about getting married as such. It's about Christ loving the church. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. Isn't that amazing? That's you. That's me. We're not talking about an organization here. We're talking about all these bodies, these people who belong to Jesus. We often treat the church as no better than the golf club or, or, or the hockey club or the boat club or whatever other club you belong to. They're all fine. There's no problem with them. But they're not the church. And when they have all disappeared from planet earth as <laughs> people know I don't like sport as they all surely will I've told many people I don't think there'll be football in heaven because that would really spoil my, spoil my heaven so it would really really spoil it <laughs> you know, you know, I'd be so disappointed <laughs> so I would you may be disappointed as well as there's any but anyway where was I oh yes when these things have all disappeared the church will still be there for eternity, ages everlastingly. It's a big mistake to treat the church like another club because it's not. It's not even an, an organ. And our great danger is that we call it an organization and people look at it and they think it is not an organization and it ought not to be made to look like an organization. It is the body of Christ. That's a different thing. That's an, or, an organic description. We are the branches on the vine. The vine is Jesus and we're growing out of him. We're not a club. And we need to remember, this is the second remembrance to, to get us through any given week. We need to remember that the church is God's very special possession. Outside of the Christ, the Son, God's special possession is the church. And I don't mean the Presbyterian church, and I don't mean the Church of Ireland church, or the Baptists, or the Methodists, or any of the rest. I'm talking about people who are saved, people who have believed, people who love, for, love Jesus, and who live for Jesus. We need to remember that the church is God's very special possession. Paul says Christ died for the church. And at the last day, what's he going to do? He is going to present the church. Nothing else. No other body. No other group of human beings. No other organization. Nothing. He is going to present the church as his beautiful bride. Now I know the church doesn't often look like a beautiful bride, but it's only because we look at it with sinful eyes. Jesus looks at his church and he sees a beautiful, beautiful bride, cleansed from sin, holy, unblemished. And this church, this church, 
think actually it may come up in the in the <laughs> the notes for the for the discipleship groups uh, during the course of, of of this week. This church will inhabit the new earth, the recreated earth, forever and ever and ever, and only the church. Nothing. No one else. Paul gives lovely pictures to, to help us to understand who and what the church is. They're back in chapter 2. I haven't put them on the screen. Just uh, at the end of, of chapter 2. Uh, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple. In the, a holy temple. Don't we just love our buildings? But they're all going to burn. You know, they're all going to burn. No matter what history you have in them, they're going to burn when Jesus comes back. And the temple, we are. You are the temple sitting in here tonight. Not the buildings, not the bricks. Not the wood. You are the temple if you are in the Lord Jesus. A holy temple in the Lord. And him, in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling. You know, you turn, I'm not going to ask you to do this, but <laughs> you turn around and look at the person up the pew from you. Do you realize that you're cemented to that person? the love of Jesus. That's why you should treat them very, very, very nicely because you're going to spend eternity with them if they're believers also. Built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Isn't that amazing? Members of God's household, he says in the previous couple of verses. not that amazing? It is amazing. Where are the hallelujahs and the amens that you would get in the Pentecostal church. I know I'd love to hear that sometime. We're really good, so it would. And there's just one other thing about the church we need to remember. Because we are the church, we are also the recipients of what Paul, excuse me, Paul calls the mystery of Christ. That's back in chapter 3. This is not a secret mystery. It is a revealed secret. Paul says it is the gospel. It is the gospel. And you know what he says about the gospel? He says, through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel in the promise in Christ Jesus. What does he mean by that? He says they got saved. It's simple. The Gentiles got saved because of the gospel. You and I are Gentiles. We're Gentiles. We're not Jews. We're Gentiles. And if we are saved tonight, we are saved by the gospel, which reveals to us this amazing Christ, this amazing Savior. That's us. And that is the gospel treasure. That is a treasure which we are entrusted with. Now, let me say to you, we forget that. That's what this is all about. All of this church stuff, it's about the gospel. It's about spreading it, sharing it, teaching it, preaching it, living it. It's about the gospel. And I think we forget that often. And that is very sad. What do we, what do we need to remember this coming week? That we are chosen, that we are church. And as church, we have the gospel. And we have the gospel because we're supposed to remember to give it out to people. We need to read and take this on board. We need to remember that we are church and that we are God's very special, precious possession. Lastly, this, 
This is a word which I, I can't actually get my tongue around in the third place, but it's the only word I could find beginning with the letter C. And the letter C's are not for your benefit, they're for mine, so I remember where I am. We need to remember that we are combatants. Now, this we forget. This we forget. What is a combatant? It is a soldier. It is somebody who is involved in a war or a battle. What does Paul say in chapter 6? He says, for our struggle. Struggle? He didn't say, for our jolly old Christian life. He said, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's very solemn that. Paul points out that we are combatants. That means we're in a warfare. To be chosen and to be church does not lead us to an easy life. We have been called up. You have seen uh, in Russia um, and over the past couple of months, whatever it is, and they tried to call up guys to join the army to fight the Ukrainians and they're, they're skipping, they're, they're becoming, you know, they know what's ahead of them. Everybody knows. Uh, they know where they're going to go and they know these Ukrainian guys, they're not going to give up. There's more power to them. But hundreds, thousands of Russian men have actually fled the country so that they can escape the draft. And, and it's risky because the chances are they will never ever, having done that, they will never ever be able to go back there again. And we have been called up we are now in the Lord's army. I appreciate greatly this is language which is not very popular in this day and age. You, know, you rarely hear onward Christian soldiers being sung. You know what I mean? But actually it's an extremely biblical concept. Extremely biblical concept. Uh, we're now in the Lord's army. We have no choice in this. We have been called up. This is not an add-on to being a follower of Jesus. You know, follow Jesus and you'll have a hunky-dory life. And if you fancy it, you can become a soldier in his army as well. No, it doesn't work that way. This is not a tick-box preference uh, which we may make when we come to Christ. There is automatic enrollment. End of story. And it's not about crusaders going to the Middle East to reclaim Jerusalem back for Christianity. That was one of the greatest blemishes on the history of the Christian church. That's my opinion. And it's little wonder that Muslims don't like Christians. In this age, they have long, long memories. It's not about bringing some kind of Christian democratic state. That's not how the kingdom of God works. We forget that. We forget that. This is a different kind of war. And we need to remember that when we get out of bed tomorrow morning and start getting ready for the day. You're going to the front. You're not going to for a jolly old time. You're going to the battlefront. And what will you be hit with there? You will be hit with the evil one's rockets. We don't talk about arrows today. We use rockets. And you'll be hit with them. They'll be all around you. It's a different kind of war. It's a spiritual war. Paul says it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is not very pleasant. And this is the word of God. This is real. There is a spiritual hinterland which we can't actually see clearly with our, our, our own eyes. We can only see it if we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and we're in the Word of God and we're living by the Holy Spirit with that Word. We can see the hinterland. We can interpret the signs that we do see and we know what's behind them. 
The moment we trust Jesus, we make a powerful enemy because we have changed camps. We have changed allegiances. We have shifted from one army to another army. We have moved from death to life. And we have moved from darkness to light in the Lord. But because of that, the evil one, Paul is telling us, will give us no peace. And what will be the prime aim of this onslaught? It will be to prevent the gospel from being proclaimed. Simple as that. Get rid of the gospel, which is what we're doing uh, through you know, our, our, our national life. We're getting rid of the gospel. Get rid of the gospel and it will be a disaster. And that's why Paul needs, in chapter 6 at the end of the armor of God passage, that's why Paul needs to be prayed for as he makes known the mystery of the gospel, preaching Jesus. How will I perform best as a combatant in this war? I just suggest to you, by because the armor of God is actually about the gospel. It is about the gospel. So therefore, I suggest to you uh, that it's by making sure that the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation, has transformed my life, and then by whatever means he has made me able to share it, to do that with other people. When we forget who we are, soldiers in the Lord's army, I suggest to you we provide a gap in the armor and the enemy uses it to break through and to do his best to demolish our faith. If we're truly believers, he won't demolish it, but he'll make life really, really unpleasant. He'll do his best to demolish our faith in Jesus. And inevitably, the result of that is that we, we do not share the mystery of the gospel, as Paul did. Just finishing. You know, in time of war, I'm not sure if they still do it, but they used to shoot deserters. Just found them guilty and shot them. And that was the penalty for being a deserter in time of war. Not very pleasant. Now, we don't do that in the church, thankfully, in God's army. But we rather encourage believers to remember who they are. Chosen from before the foundation, the creation of the world. The church, God's precious, precious jewel. Combatants in a cosmic spiritual war where God's people will win because Jesus has already defeated the enemy. He already has the victory. Let's pray. Father God, thank you uh, that we're gathered here this evening on this Lord's Day evening and we're able to sing beautiful songs of praise. We're able to pray to you, read your word and spend a little time trying to understand it, Lord. And we just pray, uh, we realize, Lord, in the darkness of our own hearts, it's so difficult sometimes to just get focused in your word. And we just pray that the Spirit of the living God may make us able to remember something of what Paul has written, what you have said in this book 
concerning these uh, ID marks of being a believer. Lord, help us to take them away, to burn them into our very souls, and may they encourage us to live for Jesus and live for our Lord God in the power of the Spirit throughout this coming week. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.